0: Welcome to the Word from the Ancient Path, stories and sermons for the journey. It's a channel of blessing and encouragement for beloved friends all over the world to hear and experience how God speaks and works through ordinary people with an extraordinary calling. We bring you stories of good news, connecting in Christ and building the kingdom, and the Word of God declared through the pastors and missionaries of Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Antigua. Beloved listeners and friends, I am your guide, Pastor Kevin Job, and I am very happy to be with you. Our ministry was founded in 2011 by Pastors Jose Santiago and Yami Cruz in Holianos, Cuba. And my wife, Tani, and I serve as directors and chief connection makers for the U.S. branch of the ministry. Together, we have a great team of pastors, missionaries, advisors, and kingdom servants who are dedicated to planting churches and spreading the reach of the gospel. We pray that you are blessed and inspired by these sermons, reflections, and our testimony of what God has done and is doing in and through us. Alright friends, today let's talk about us. We were created in blessing. We were created in right relationship to God and to all of creation itself. And the sin of disobedience wrecked all those relationships and it has left us separated from God's will and God's ways, but as always, God is faithful and He has a plan. We can express the, God's plan under a big banner. We can call it the kingdom of God. Though we can't figure out how to be faithful, God always is faithful. And one day, he will bring all things together under the headship of Jesus, his only begotten son. And so in the plan, then, Jesus gives up his rightful place in heaven, and he comes to earth in the most absurd fashion as a peasant baby growing up in this little no-account town. And you've got to ask, what kind of kingdom is this? But then he begins this miraculous ministry and he surrounds himself with this cast of unwanted students. Uh, you know, those people who couldn't get into any other teacher's classes. But he patiently shapes and he guides them back from the religiosity of their day, back to God's core values like Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Or Leviticus nineteen eighteen, love your neighbor as yourself. He tells them, do what God said rehearse what I teach talk about these things everywhere do all of this with a plan to redeem humanity and all of creation you see Jesus was on a mission and as you neared the end of things it says in Luke chapter 9 verse 51 it happened that when the days were approaching for him to be taken up he set his face to go to Jerusalem and all of that leads us to eight weeks that rewrite world history and those eight weeks start on a Thursday evening in Jerusalem. It's, it's right before the, the culmination of the festival of Passover, which is at this point a millennia-old observance of God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt by the blood of a slaughtered lamb. Interesting. Jesus, as he often did, turned the Passover dinner ritual upside down that night. He said, you know, this bread we eat, well, it's my body. And this wine, it's my blood. And, you know, the Passover lamb, the one who takes away the sin of the world, uh, that's me. You remember how God used to talk about a new covenant? Guys, well, that's me too. I'm your true salvation once and for all. So you can imagine the confusion when just a few hours later, Jesus is arrested and hauled off. His terrified friends all just turn tail and run away. And so after a joke of a trial throughout the overnight period, in the morning this renegade rabbi is to die on Friday or around noon. Now the idea of crucifixion isn't anything new in this time, but this particular execution doesn't go to plan. Strange things start to happen as Jesus hangs there dying. First, there's complete darkness for three hours in the middle of the afternoon. I mean, literally, the sun stopped shining. And then, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, it says, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I am guessing that some people started to wonder who it was they were messing with. The idea of the holy of holies laid open for just anyone to see had to scare the snot out of the Jewish leaders. But anyway, he was dead and everyone knew it. But you have to remember, Jesus had made this ridiculous claim or some saw it as a threat. And then the story continues, Matthew 28, verse one, after the Sabbath on the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary went to look at the tomb and there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Again, no being that can roll away a giant tombstone is anything less than fearsome. Verse five, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. And here's where things really start to get out of hand, because now those formerly dead people are traipsing around Jerusalem greeting people in the street. I mean, you can picture the scene, right? Fred, what's up, man? I thought you were dead. Well, Yeah. I was, but turns out Friday was a great day, and I'm alive again. Go figure. And these stories about seeing Jesus start popping up. You know, there's one from a couple of sad disciples. They're walking out to a town called Emmaus, and this stranger comes up to them, and he starts asking about the crucifixion and everything. And So they talk to him, invite him to eat together, and then it says in Luke 24, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them, and then, uh uh-oh, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Whoa, dude, he did it again. It was just like last Thursday. And so they rushed back to tell everybody. And then verse 36, it says, while they're still talking about all this stuff, then Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Can you imagine? Now they're freaking out completely. And Jesus is like, hey, what's up, dudes? Do you all still doubt now? Do I look like a ghost to you? Come on, touch me. I'm real. Uh, And by the way, have you all got some fish? I'm hungry. Something is going on and it just keeps happening. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, in the third verse, it says that after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So for almost six weeks after that Passover, Jesus just keeps showing up. He just drops into the room. He, he comes to the water's edge to teach them to fish again. And he reinstates his wayward apostles and he reassures the people who have doubts. Can you picture the ecstasy as all this keeps happening? They killed him, but God raised him. Along with all of these formerly dead friends who are now coming for dinner again. Everyone around can see this, and the history keepers are taking notes. You see it? This is it. Everything's right again. It's just what he told us. The time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe it! And how could they not? So now, instead of being scared, everybody's all excited about kingdom come, but they want it now. So Jesus, he takes them out on a hillside outside Jerusalem, and rather than finish the whole thing, you know, make the winning score, etc., Jesus instead hands off the ball to his followers. (laughs) He gives them the mission. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And he gives them the vision of what it's going to look like. You know, the Spirit's going to fill you with power, and you are going to carry the kingdom news to the ends of the earth. And then just as quickly as he said all that, He's gone, which is also just what he told us he was going to do. And they look around and they go, what are we going to do now? So they go back to town. Acts 1 chapter 14 says that then they all joined together constantly in prayer. And this, friends, was a 10-day holy huddle. Men, women, family members who are about to be called out in a new way a way they never suspected. We're going to take a moment now for a short break. Stay with us for more on The Ancient Path. At Ancient Path Ministries our greatest hope is to carry the light of the kingdom of God into places where it is most needed. We want to see people set free from what holds them captive and offer salvation in Christ to people lost in darkness. We want to live as examples the oaks of righteousness planted to display God's splendor. Now. Our ministry is built on connections in Christ and our financial foundation depends on the regular partnership of beloved friends such as you. If you'd be interested in becoming a covenant financial partner or just contribute to the work of the ministry, I invite you to visit our website, ancientpathministries.org. Check out the church in action and see how you can be a part of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. All right, now uh, let's jump right back into those eight weeks that changed the course of history. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, right? they had come down off the mountain to pray and they had stayed there. And when Pentecost came, they were still seeking God in prayer, still waiting to see what the Lord had to do. And then, boom, the promised Holy Spirit comes and the power switch is flipped on. And that church that Jesus had promised he would build is born. It's born in wind and fire and in dozens of languages. There's prophetic word. There's conviction of sin. There are 3,000 people baptized. And from that day, the world would never be the same. Civilization as we know it changed at its core in actual history on that day. From this unimportant outpost of the Roman Empire through the life of a peasant carpenter who well also happens to be God incarnate we get the dividing line of world history from before Christ to the year of our Lord and you know it doesn't matter how people try to manipulate the initials we put before those years those numbers mean the same thing suddenly this little gathering of people who were seen as imbeciles for their silly notion of one god who loves his people suddenly they're transformed into the miracle people in them you can see the power of the kingdom of god as it is made flesh in the communion of the saints it's marked by devotion right this continually devoting themselves to experiencing all the means of god's grace the knowledge of christ the love of christ and our connection to the father in heaven It's marked by these awestruck manifestations because the Spirit of God is alive and now in the people of the ancient church and shows himself through miracles and signs. It's marked by generous community. Their only want was to see that everyone was cared for and built up. And it was marked by their adoration for God that they wore on their sleeves. All sorts of praise to God, all kinds of table fellowship, always remembering Jesus. People looked at them and saw what they were living and were impressed. And the Spirit began to draw those people into the flock. And so it was marked by salvations as God added to their number. More people every day were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the eight weeks that changed history. And parts of that eight weeks defy explanation. I mean, how do we explain that so much happened in so little time with so many real people in real places and that so many real things happen that defy our understanding of the laws of nature? The logic in human reason cannot contain the entirety of this story. If I look back across what I've just shared in the last few minutes, there are at least 25 things that are completely beyond physical explanation, and yet they happened. And they were documented, and these kinds of things continue to happen. The happenings of 2,000 years ago and ever since are well understood by believers and non-believers alike. These manifestations of the movement of God's Holy Spirit have never been seriously challenged or questioned by historical consensus in the two millennia since they happened, ever. And so what was going on? What, what is going on? You know, it's not the easiest thing sometimes to understand it, and it's certainly not simple to just simply try and explain it. Now, on their album in 2004, an album called How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, the Irish rock musicians U2 include a song that's written to the church. It's called Crumbs From Your Table. And the chorus goes like this. You speak of signs and wonders, but I need something other. I would believe if I was able, but I'm waiting on the crumbs from your table. Singing to the church, the song hits the nail right on the head. You see, what's really needed is something other. To know that God loves. To know that the Spirit moves in power. To see the evidence of the kingdom of God come to earth. The songwriter, that's what he wants to see. He, he wants the witness of that. What does this look like that you talk about? What is it? I would argue then that what really called for from us is not to explain what's going on in us but rather demonstration. Don't talk. Don't speak of signs and wonders. Show me. Let me see something other. Let me see signs of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me see something of the uniqueness of Jesus. Friends, the world needs to know why it is they ought to care. They need to see the revelation of something other, something that's history-shaping, something that's eternity-giving. All the manifestations of the Spirit that drew and that still draw, they're simply, they're not simply spectacular supernatural fireworks displays that people will look at and marvel and go, ooh, and ah. No. These works of the Spirit, they're like pathways. The miraculous signs and wonders are pathways back to the daily miracle. And that miracle, freely given by God, is the eternity giving presence that we call grace. The Holy Spirit, who lives in the true believers, plants that grace inside each of us. You see, God has always been full of grace. The Old Testament scriptures are full of examples of God's unmerited favor on his people and, and stories of individuals to whom God gifted special graces so that they might extend them to others. The New Testament tells us in 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Hmm. We were born in blessing. God's plan to set us right with him was given to us before our sin. God's plan to bless us with grace comes from eternity. But the earthly reality of the presence of grace in our lives, to which we are so accustomed as to toss around the word casually, had really not been widely manifested for some time, even among God's chosen people. And it was virtually unrecognized in the rest of the fallen world when Jesus came. Since the days of the fall of humanity, we've seen how karma, this idea that you get what your actions deserve, has really ruled. And this is because by our sin, we've been separated from God's eternal promise, hardened in our hearts, and, and left with only the rule of law or our own ideas to guide us. And so it's hard for us to understand the concept of grace. By the sacrifice of Jesus and his victory over death God has come again to dwell in his people and it is by the reality of the Holy Spirit who lives in us that God's grace is ours again when we choose to take hold of it. By God's grace we are drawn and by God's grace in us we draw others to Christ. We draw them to Christ toward the vision of God and into the kingdom of God. And this is the daily miracle at work in us. And so church, we are the miracle people, the signs and wonders of his love. That's us. Acts 4.33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. The Greek word for grace in that sentence is charis, or as we say in our house, charis. That's my daughter. It means gift. It means further that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. It indicates a grace that shows the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his influence, turns souls to Christ and keeps and strengthens and increases them in faith and knowledge and affection for God, for humanity, and for all of creation and So the word is just loaded with meaning. And this daily miraculous portion of grace is the reason that those eight weeks turned the tide of human history. And that the 20th centuries that have followed continue to see the ever steady incoming of his kingdom. So what do we do with this grace? Let me encourage you. Seek the things that lead to grace. Jesus' teachings, fellowship with believers, breaking bread, remembering his suffering and death, and victory. Pray always. Speak and listen to God. Live each day in awe and praise of the God who has done and continues to do things that defy explanation. Allow yourself to be soaked in wondrous grace. And then give away what you've been given. When the world deserves scorn, show them something other. Let the spirits work in you, turn their souls to Christ. Don't offer what karma would say people deserve, but rather offer them the wonder of grace that they might be drawn into the kingdom movement. Show people the inexplicable, miraculous scandal that is grace. Tell and and more so show people that before there was time, God knew us. God loved us. God loves us today. God will know and love us when all is said and done and all because of Jesus. Church, you've been called together to be miracle people, supernaturally empowered to show the signs and wonders of something other, beyond just getting by, beyond the pursuit of happiness. You've been given something history-making, something supernatural, something eternity-gifting, a bold, compelling, living, breathing image of kingdom come to earth. And so, beloved friends, this brings us to the close of today's episode. So thanks for joining us. Once again, be sure to check out our website, ancientpathministries.org. Like and follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Ancient Path Ministries. This is Pastor Kevin Job for Ancient Path Ministries. La Iglesia Volviendo a la senda Antigua. We look forward to seeing you next time. Que Dios te bendiga mucho. Go be the church.